Hey everybody, welcome to the Revive Yourself podcast. Here we go. So guys and girls, welcome back to the show. As always, this episode is sponsored by www.reviveyourself.co, my website where you can find so many articles about health and healing, as well as other links to different podcast episodes. The Chronic Fatigue Solution, the book I wrote a few years back, which gives you the three big secrets to health, and my newly released online course, the Total Health Revival Course which, if I don't say so myself, is unlike anything else on the market. Whereas other courses in health just concentrate on one aspect of healing, this course gives you everything you need to know to create a healthy body and mind because it looks at you holistically. We don't just go into nutrition, we go into the mental, the emotional, the biological, the spiritual and the environmental as well. We give you eight easy-to-follow step-by-step modules that cover everything you need to know to overcome a chronic health issue or advanced disease or reach your optimal health. And we also go into self-sabotage and breaking down any other mental or emotional barriers that are holding you back. It really is something that I'm so proud of bringing out because I know it's going to change people's lives for the better. And not only is it going to get people healthy, it's going to keep them healthy because everything we're teaching you in this course are things that that will stand the test of time and you can use for yourself, your friends, your family for years and years to come. So you can find that at www.reviveyourself.co and clicking on the course option. And also you have the option of working with me one-to-one with our coaching where not only are we going to get you healthy, but we're going to start building out your dream life and getting you to reach the full potential that you are here to create. Because remember, we're not just here to survive, we're here to... Perfect. So, long time coming this, long time coming finally. And we're meant to do this last week. So thank you very much for your patience with that. That was a a nightmare. Unfortunately, we got asked to go last minute to our friends. They eloped in Portugal. Cool. So I had I had to go over there, and I was working out of an Airbnb, and the internet was just terrible. So, thanks for postponing it a week. It's all but, good, man. Alex, welcome to the show. And I think this is yeah. This I mean, I've been looking to probably talk to you for a couple of years, and a lot's gone on in those last two years. So we've probably got a lot <laughs> more to talk about. <laughs> but how have you been? Busy, man. These last six months have been some of the toughest of my life too, just for a lot of personal reasons and relationships with family members. Everyone knows that my, me and my mom rose up in this space together, but my mom and I haven't spoken to each other in six months. So really? a lot of, yeah, a lot of family stuff I'm sorting through. Really? Is that, I like, is that repairable? Do you think? I or? think, yeah, I think it's repairable. We just need to give each other space for some time. Okay. Yeah. And was it about things, was it about health stuff? No, it was about just like past stuff that sort of came to the surface and okay. re-triggered a lot of things. That's it. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, man. Yeah, because I was to say, yeah, you and your mum were, yeah, always the exact name going back and forth on Instagram, on on Twitter. I think I actually come across your mum first, and I think that was like your back your background in natural health comes from your mum's or your background promoting natural health comes from your mum's health issues correct yeah yeah so it came from my mom originally and then after we saw my mom begin to heal when she adopted the pseudoscientific 
approach of Dr. Kelly Brogan. My wife, who I just married at the time, nine years prior, was diagnosed with lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, mm. was chronically ill, had seen multiple rheumatologists, was told that she was always going to be this way. We even had conversations about her not being able to ever have kids possibly, and that she was going to be in a wheelchair by the time she was 40, that she might not live as long as me, all of these conversations. And then after we saw my mom begin to heal with these, this natural approach to health, we tried the same for my wife, tapered her off all of her autoimmune medications and she felt better in, in four months time. And we had a rheumatologist to get a blood work checked. And sure enough, her inflammation levels had dropped to normal for the first time in nearly 10 years. And so that kind of did it for me. Those two examples put me in to a lot of consonants. How could these two people I love be under the care of the experts, right? Be perpetually ill. And then as soon as they step away and listen to someone who the experts refer to as a pseudoscientific quack that spreads misinformation, that's when they began to heal. So I started a journey of questioning everything in my life. And at the time I had just commissioned as an officer in 2016. So right when I begin a job working for the government and the military, that's when I began questioning everything. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny, actually, I've had one of my friends who I met on one of the marches last year, he had an awakening while he was serving for the, yeah, the, the army in the United Kingdom. And it was like a few of them woke up at the same time, but in that environment, that's quite a hard place to, you're basically doing the dirty work for all the people you later realize are the worst people on the planet. Yeah. And yeah, you're just dispensable to them. And this is one of the things that I have a problem. I don't understand. Like when you see Davos right now, one of the police that are going for these people, how they can how it, how they can even do that, knowing what they're doing in terms of, I get that they're getting paid, but surely that hurts your soul amen yeah and it's different for each person like for some people I'll, I'll give you an example before covid i was aware of all the problems with the army knew that 9 11 was a complete fraud knew that all of the wars that we had fought in at the least in the last 20 30 40 years were all on fraudulent premises but even knowing that i was comfortable receiving the compensation that I was receiving in the army. I was paid very well as an officer. And I thought, okay, if I can just find a job within the army that is non-combat related and just switch over to that, then I can make sense of it in my head that it's okay to do this. It's okay to be a part of this very harmful system, just as long as I remain within it, remain in a job where I'm not causing direct harm. And luckily COVID happened and that forced me to wake up so to speak even further and that's when i realized there's no chance i'm taking maintaining any job or relationship to this corrupt system at all there's no way so only as little as two and a bit years ago you were still an officer in the army i was in an officer in the army 13 months ago that was my last day in the army was april 29th 2021 i didn't realize i didn't realize especially with the stuff you were saying on yeah. i didn't think well that. 
So that's the thing is that most people didn't realize I was in the army because I didn't advertise that I was, and I actually wanted to keep it quiet that I was in the army. Not if people ask, Hey, are you in the army? I just found this thing on Google. Like, I was in this program in the army for two years called the world-class athlete program and training as a, an Olympic athlete for two years. It's a special program that the army has, but anyway, you could find my profile pretty easily if you just Googled me and scrolled down a little bit. So I had a few a few people who would reach out and say, Hey, are you still in the army? I see that like this thing says you were in the world-class athlete program. I'd say, yes, still in the army. Just please keep it quiet. Cause I'm trying not to get in trouble. <laughs> so, Yeah. I can imagine. What was the, the what was your world-class athlete in? in terms yeah. of what you were for? So I played team handball, the okay. U S national team. Yeah. I did that for two years for the 2020 Olympic qualification period, but we lost in the Pan American Games to Argentina and Chile. So wow. we, as, as soon as you're no longer in contention for the Olympics, no matter what sport you're in, then it's right back to a normal job in the army. So as soon as we lost, I was right back to a normal job. But being in that program also, again, prior to COVID afforded me an opportunity to do a lot more internal work because I didn't have to wear a uniform. I literally trained as an athlete for two years straight, played professionally in Germany for a little bit, and that was my job. And it afforded me a lot more time for in introspection and understanding my place in the world. And that sort of deepened my desire to get out, but I still didn't have a moment that I knew for sure I was going to leave the army until COVID hit. And then I was like, okay, yep, this is it. I'm done with this. I'm not doing this anymore. That's interesting. It's, even you saying that, that you uh, had more time for introspection, et cetera, that's not generally something you, uh, I come across people in the army, it's they are constantly busy trying to shut that out. It's uh, not like that for a purpose. There's yeah, a yeah. reason. Of course, yeah. I remember talking to, I think it was Dr. Jess about it, which she's saying it, it's one of those things, the same as the medical industry, the way it's done, the doctors all stepping over each other to get to the top, no sleep, don't really get to think, not about their patients, just talking about who can get higher. Programs I've been watching it years ago, I think it was Grey's Anatomy at the time, and that sort of documents it. They don't really care. They're just trying to get ahead of their next person they're competing with. And the patient is, I've had doctors say to me, they've messaged me and said, Ryan, I've finally come over to this side because I looked at it and thought, how many people I'm actually helping? None of them. They keep on, I keep on, they keep coming back. I keep on giving them more drugs and nothing changes except for the amount of drugs they're on. But the fact you even did that shows you were ahead of your time or like more aware than most, but which is your, it's like your soul pushing you back. I remember reading a book once and it said like, whenever you come off path, you something happened, it'll just push you back into your path. So that's interesting. And Ham, I know about it because of the Olympics, but I think it's pretty big in Europe. It's not so big in the UK. No, it's not big in the US at all. So this is a funny yeah. story. So I was a big basketball player growing up, like basketball was my life. And in the United States as university athletics are a really big deal. And the only division one, which is like the highest level of college athletics, the only yeah. division one school to recruit me for basketball was the United States Military Academy at West Point. So because they were the only division one school to recruit me, that's where I decided I wanted to go. And as soon as I get to West Point, I get cut from the basketball team, like within the first month of being there. So, cause the way that college athletics typically works is they have scholarships that they offer players and they only recruit a certain amount of players, but with West Point and the other military academies, because everyone at the school, regardless is technically on some sort of scholarship. It's not really a scholarship. It's that they're paid for by the government. They're all there paid for by the government. You have to be qualified academically to get in regardless. All of the sports teams, they don't have scholarships to worry about, so they can over recruit. 
So for my recruiting class for basketball, there are 12 of us and several of us got cut pretty instantly. And then after that, I was playing pickup basketball in the gym and the senior on the senior. So I was a freshman, the senior approached me and said, Hey, you should come try out for handball. And I was like, handball, what the, what is, what is that? No, I'm not doing that. I've never even heard of it. He said, I promise you, it's not what you think it is. You need to come try out. You're going to love it. All the dudes that get cut from basketball, football, baseball, lacrosse, or soccer, they come play handball. I was like, okay, I'll go check it out. So I went and tried out for the handball team, liked it. There's a bunch of athletic dudes who came from other sports, didn't really know what they were doing playing this sport, but I got good enough my junior year to where a U.S. national team coach saw me play and asked me to be on the U.S. national team. And I said, I can't, I have to be in the army. That's not possible. And he said, no, it is possible. There's a program in the army called the world-class athlete program, where if you're on a U.S. national team for any of the Olympic sports, you do that full time for Olympic qualification period. So after I commissioned in 2016, as an officer, I spent six months at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, doing field artillery training a year at Fort Riley, Kansas, never had to deploy or anything like that. Just did a lot of garrison time, which means just time at the home station doing training. I did do field artillery training, but never went to combat. And then after that year, I applied to the world-class athlete program, got in, did that for two years, and then went back for an additional year to do another field artillery school. And that's when COVID happened and I knew I was getting out of the army. So I got out as quick as I could. Oh, interesting. Now I've seen, I know it's like, it's quite athletic, Campbell. I've seen a bit. It's like, yeah, it's like football with your hands, basically. Correct. It's just, yeah, it's exactly yeah, like football or like soccer with your hands or water polo on land, yeah, or you say it's like basketball, except for there's a goal on the ground with a goalie instead of a hoop in the air. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, you need to be able to run fast, jump high. You need to be very aggressive. You need to be able to hit on defense. Oh, it's contact. Is it oh contact? yeah. You can hand check on defense. You can uh, wrap people up. You're just not supposed to take them to the ground, but it happens quite right. a bit. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Put men in any situation like that, it happens. It's like when you're trying to play, I used to play rugby, like basically professionally. And whenever you used to train, you'd be like, I oh, was just doing touch grab. That lasts about two seconds before yeah. like, everyone starts hitting I was friends with a lot of rugby guys. There's West Point, the university I went to has a really big rugby program too. So a lot of my best friends were rugby players. They're tough guys. Yeah, West Point's quite, it's a fa- even for someone from the UK, you, you know about West Point, it's quite a famous place. But that's, that's interesting. So you were getting out. When you had to get out of that, uh, Alex, is it quite, were you contracted to a certain amount of time? Or could you just say, I'm yeah. quitting and I'm leaving? Or- yeah, so I was, so the way it works after you commission as an officer in, from West Point is you have to serve a minimum of five years active duty to uh, essentially pay back your tuition for being at the university. Because it is, again, in normie land, it is a high quality education, a lot of it high quality indoctrination. But I am appreciative of many aspects of, of West Point in hindsight. I think when I got out of the army after serving my minimum of five years, I threw all of it away. Like I, you probably saw I was growing my hair out super long and I like had a big beard and I was just like F the army. And I, I still think that the army is an extremely corrupt organization, but with all of the bad parts of the army, I threw out some of the good things. And I'm in reflecting now realizing that there was a lot of positive things that I was taught at West Point. I was taught how to persevere through really tough situations. I was taught critical thinking skills, which is ironic because somehow the majority of my classmates and other people who graduate from West Point have succumbed to this lack of critical thinking. I was taught morals 
which is ironic as well, given what the army does. <laughs> well, morals and ethics are slightly different, but I'll let you carry on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I, there, there's just many positive things I was taught and I majored in systems engineering. That's the degree that I got. And systems engineering teaches you how to link together multiple seemingly unrelated things to form an optimal solution. And with systems engineering, that's actually what has allowed me to see how all of these things with what's going on in the world are connected. And some of them may be seemingly un not connected, but they're all ultimately for an optimal solution for them, which is the great reset or agenda 2030, whatever you want to call it. So what do you, what you want about there's just been a virus that's gone around and we've had to, we've had to like all go in our home for years. Otherwise we'd be, we'll be dead. Yeah. All the bodies on the floor outside. I can't, you, you yeah. can't go out the street because there's so many bodies on the floor. I don't know what you want about Alex. You just in that case. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> What's funny though, just on the virus thing, I used to think that like for the first six months of COVID. Let me back up a little bit. So in November of 2019, mm -hmm. again, I was still in the army. I saw, I had already wake, woken up to pharmaceutical corruption. I had already woken up to the fraud of vaccines. I had already woken up to government corruption, 9-11, all the things, right? I had not ever explored terrain versus germ theory ever, right? Mm -hmm. In November of 2019, I was on just following on some Reddit subs and watching people talk about how a bunch of people were dropping dead in the streets in China. And I was watching this from November to December and like seeing these crazy videos and seeing that our mainstream news wasn't picking up on it. And I knew that our mainstream news was corrupt. So I was like, oh my God, they're not talking about this on purpose because they did successfully create a bioweapon in a lab and it's going to kill millions and millions of people. But even though I was completely wrong with that, I knew that the end game was for mandatory vaccines. That's the reason, that's the purpose for what they did or did not do. And then I saw a video in April of 2021, or April of 2020, sorry, April of 2020. And at this point I was observing my reality and like this, I don't see anyone dropping dead, like what? Oh my God, those were propaganda videos from the Chinese government more than likely. And then I was like, okay, so this virus isn't that bad. That's what I was thinking. And I had known that, okay, like people who are mindful of their health and approach health from a natural lens are typically don't have any issues with viruses or bacteria. That's what I thought at the time. And then this video that I saw in April of 2021, or sorry, April of 2020, these last two years have been Gone back so yeah. fast. April 2020. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so April of 2020, I saw a video from Dr. Tom Cowan where yeah. he was describing something to the effect of if you were following a pod of dolphins off the coast of Florida and yeah. you noticed that the dolphins started getting sick and dying, what would be your first thought? And someone in the audience yelled, Who put some shit in the water? And it's, yeah, exactly. That would be your first thought. You wouldn't think, oh, what virus is killing these dolphins? And I was like, damn, that's interesting. And I started thinking about other examples of animals. I'm like, is there ever really any examples in the wild where like animals get sick and die in mass because of a virus? And I was thinking, and there are some examples that popped up and I started looking into them. I'm like, really, it's that those animals were starved of their food or their habitat was destroyed or there was a toxic chemical leak that was put there because of human beings. I'm like, I couldn't really find one example where 
animals were dying in masks for reasons that you couldn't equate to something aside from a virus, right? So I was like, there's always other issues at play here. Like they're being starved or they're being poisoned. Is it really a virus? And I started looking into it a little bit more. I still pretty undecided, especially when I heard someone, <laughs> I think it was someone responded to me on Twitter. There's no such thing as viruses. I was like, that sounds like the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. But I'm an open guy. So I said, fuck it. Let's go look. Let's see if there's any validity to this. And I started exploring pretty heavily. I had Dr. Count on my podcast and I would start talking about how SARS-CoV-2 had never been isolated or proven to exist. Only that one though, not knowing that it applied to all other viruses. And I would just spout out, just regurgitate what I hear from other people, but I never actually explored it myself, which is ironic because I was maybe not as much at the time, but now I'm so big on people uh, sharing their authentic perspective, but really exploring a topic for themselves to where they know it in and out and they can actually argue it. Because if not, then they're just regurgitating what they've heard from someone else. And that's what I was doing because I would talk about that on Twitter and elsewhere. And people would say, well, here's a paper where it says they've been isolated. And I would be like, oh shit, I don't know how to read this. Maybe I'm wrong. Oh my God, Dr. Cowan, look at this. And I had sent Dr. Cowan a few studies and he would always highlight exactly where it was like they, the process for which they isolate a virus was completely pseudoscientific. And after a while, he finally said, Alec, you are smart enough to figure this out yourself, you can do it. You figure it out. You learn the material, you read all these things and you determine whether they've properly isolated on any of these. So I did. And I learned the ins and outs of the methodology for which virologists isolate or so-called isolate viruses. And I have come to the conclusion now that there is absolutely no science backing any aspect of virology. And that applies for every single virus and no virus in history has ever been proven to exist or proven to cause disease, which can be a pretty shocking statement for some people to hear, but I can back that up with tons of logic and evidence. Now, this is something that even, so backing it up, I'd always known, been doing this for a long time. I don't know when it was your mom and your wife went through that. 2016. 2016. So I've been doing this for about, been in this world for 13 years. So it's oh, wow. Hard. Yeah, because I went from my own illness. That's why for five years, the medical industry almost destroyed me. And I learned the hard way, found my first mentor. He opened my eyes up to a world that didn't know existed. And once again, you put on that thread and you're like, oh, food, oh, chemicals, oh, the world. And it's, and oh, everything they say is bullshit. Oh, you've got to be careful of that because you don't want to, because, yeah, you've got to have critical thinking and still think, you're not going to think everything's bullshit. But when all they do is propagate bullshit and nonsense and they have a re track record for it, then it's just, it's laughable, like this nonsense they're trying to put out now. And it's like, you, it's like you, you've got to be basically brain dead to, to believe anything they come out with now. It's just everything they say. But I've always had germ, so from my own illness, I knew like germ theory versus terrain theory. Louis Pasteur, even on his deathbed, said the germ is nothing, the terrain is everything. And even with that, though, I used to, before this, still had the idea of protozoa, funguses, bacteria and viruses all being a similar thing. It wasn't, even though I'd looked into the work of like Andreas von der Planet and a few other people that mentioned about viruses being solvents, etc., or the body actually creating them, because it's really interesting. Because even though I'd read things like that, I'd still been in the world of certain biological medicines, even energy medicines, would look at viruses in a certain way, which is for me thinking that they're just naming something completely wrong as a virus rather than actually a specific 
yeah, whatever. Cellular debris. That's cellular purely debris. what I call yeah. it, cellular yeah. debris. Cellular debris. So this is what gets really interesting when it comes to people because people, it's like I always say to people, okay, simple one to say to people, why don't antibiotics work on a virus? And they're like, well, because it's not bacteria. I'm saying, well, what is bacteria that a virus isn't? It's alive. Bacteria is alive. Viruses don't have a nucleus. They don't respire. They are not alive. And so how can something that's not alive <laughs> find its way across or whatever and, and it can't it's not alive yeah so this is on a simple basis right and so this is even for me when i dug into that i come across dr cowan's video with the dolphins and more things and i was like mm, this is interesting i looked more into andreas von der planet's work which more into stefan lanker's work we talked about the measles virus which i'm sure you did and even recently he's come out and said having a degree in biology biology is like having a degree in unicorn it is yeah, like mythology yeah and so I, I want you to go into it because for people out there we've talked about it a little bit but there's some there's like a certain thing when you say this is how certain people or most of the world to be honest with you alex like they only know what they've been taught and what they've been taught is like nonsense because they're listening to the mainstream but when you go a bit deeper and you'll say okay tell me how they isolate a virus and they're like, I don't know. I'm like, I do. I can break it down for you if you want. But go, you've seen as your, because this is, I've looked through and you've got the, your website, Health Freedom for Humanity, which I want to get into later. But on your website, and I think you posted this a little bit ago on Twitter, which I was looking for a few weeks ago, but you've been banned again. I, I, uh, I was deleted again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was like, fuck's sake. It was only a week ago we were speaking on it. Um, no. But you put the article out, The Way Forward, The Way Forward, which is a really yep. good article, which goes into it. So in that, you explain more about this, which if you can for the audience, I want you to go into Yeah. Can you allow me to share my screen if you just click on the bottom, the little arrow right above screen sharing and say allow multiple participants to share? Yeah, go for it. All right, because this will be helpful oh, to have. Yeah, I think I've done mine by accident. One second. Yeah. Yeah. Just if you just click at the top and click stop and then it'll. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Got, yeah. Got, yeah. Got. Right. And then I'll show you mine. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. All right. Ah, here we go. <laughs> this is something I've been working on for quite some time. And I've given this presentation at a few different conferences lately. And people have said this is the best explanation of the fraud of virology they've seen. So I decided actually on Monday, so a few days from now, myself and a few other people, I don't know if you saw the video we put out on virology's unproven assumptions or our rebuttal to Malone, McCullough and Ryan Cole, but the same guys that did those videos with me, we've are going to do a more expanded version of this presentation that we're working on right now. So this is only what, 25 slides. The one we're working on is like 45 slides and it's, we're going to record it on Monday. And I think it's going to be the first video that is going to be distributed publicly to everyone that breaks down the fraud in every single aspect. So we're also, really make sure you send it. me, yeah, make sure you send that to me. And also I'd love to get, cause this is the thing as well. And this is the thing as well. I'd love to be like, I'd love to get you guys and them on a podcast and be like, let's have a chat. But these things never really happen. It's like I've tried. I've yeah. actually tried. I'm, I have no problem sharing this publicly. So before I start on this, I tried to set up a debate between a virologist who's published. I'll not share his name just for MD's sake. And then also, let's say, an expert on this side of the spectrum. And we had an initial conversation for roughly 45 minutes. And 
the virologists assumed that our argument was that yes, we believe these particles exist, that we acknowledge they exist, but we're simply saying that they're not pathogenic. And when he understood really what we are arguing that you have no proof that these particles exist in nature, that you're making a lot of assumptions in your isolation methods, that your isolation methods are completely pseudoscientific and do not strictly adhere to the scientific method. It was clear that him and as well as many other virologists probably have just never been taught to question their initial premise or their protocol for which they quote, isolate viruses. Just like any of us who are taught anything in school, taught to accept something as fact, we would never go against that. We would never, we, like doctors as an example, have been taught to question that vaccines are safe and effective. So they would never think to question that initial premise, right? Same thing with virologists. And so we gave it a month for him to review some of the material that we sent him. And he sent some papers that our side had already seen multiple times. And we highlighted where the papers did not prove <laughs> the existence of viruses by strictly following a scientific method. And we are trying to establish a debate parameters two weeks prior to the debate taking place. And we said that the parameters would be each participant has to send any material they'd be arguing a week prior to, he agreed to that, both sides agreed. But when we said that the debate question would be, do the Vero cell culture isolation methods and the in silico genomic sequencing prove the existence of SARS-CoV-2? And he said that first, science doesn't prove anything. And we were like, okay, yes, I guess you could say that's true, but you're using this evidence to flip the entire world upside down. So we think this is still an important topic. And he then he responded with, I think that debating on this, on these premises would end up in an unproductive semantics argument. So I don't think that these are good debate questions. And we were like, okay, semantics, you mean the meaning of words? Yeah, that's a big deal. So he ended up backing out because he thought that it would be unproductive to argue on that basis. So it was really eye-opening for me. And it just showed again that virologists are for the most part intentioned people that are just misinterpreting this and have never been taught to question their procedures. That's simply it. So no, no, with that- hundred percent. Keep that there. I've had someone very smart. I was talking to him very recently and he was like, I've had the symptoms. I was saying, but this has never been proven to exist. If you look down, he's like, how do you explain me having all the symptoms, et cetera? And I said, the symptoms are the same as a common cold. He's like, they don't say this about loss of taste, loss of smell. I'm like, it does. It says it right there in the common cold. Yep. Uh, and she's, but we've got the proof. It comes from a bio lab, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, what you're saying. Define proof. Yeah. Uh, patents proof or papers proof. Proof is actually seeing the thing, having the thing, and proving it causes disease in a healthy person. That is proof. And they've never done that. And I'm happy to share in this presentation. Wow. It's so often people will say, I was sick, so the virus must be real. And that isn't affirming the consequent logical fallacy because you're pointing to the effects of something as proof for the cause. And you've never actually proven the existence of the supposed cause. So pointing to effects, pointing to disease symptoms and saying this is proof of a virus is actually pseudoscientific and a logical fallacy but it's the same as people go away for two weeks on holiday they eat what they want they drink what they want they don't get enough sleep and then they come back and they get ill and they go oh i must have caught a bug on the plane it was that mm -hmm. bug i'm like no you've been drinking tons of alcohol you haven't slept you've been eating nothing but rubbish food ice creams everything else 
what you mean you picked up a bug what you've done is you've made your system so toxic it now needs to go through detoxification yeah. that's what you've done but they're yeah. like oh i call it people love to pass off responsibility and other things because it's then it's not down to them and also the amount of fear porn they pump through the airwaves is called the nocebo effect which i've talked about so many times amen ill, they will get ill but big point on that real quick actually the cdc's own data validates that so the cdc did a study 10 months ago we're supposed to trust the experts right trust the cdc in this study the cdc showed that the two strongest risk factors for death associated with a covid death and we know that means nothing but two wrong the strongest risk factors were obesity no surprise the second strongest risk factor for covid death was fear slash anxiety related disorders and I'm I 100%, but mate, I've seen the research that shows that, that the placebo and the nocebo are, are up to 38 to 64% affected, depending on whose research you've. Exactly. There, there was a doctor who didn't believe this. He had it with his son. He said, This can't be true. I want to try it out with my son. In the morning, his son came down to breakfast. He was like, Oh, you don't look very well. Are you sure you're all right? His son was like, Yeah, I'm absolutely fine. He got his wife in on it as well. So when his wife saw his, the child, she said, Oh, darling, you're okay. You don't feel very well. He's like, I'm absolutely fine. Are you sure? They also got the teacher in on this. So when he went to school, the teacher said, you're not looking too good. Are you sure you're okay here? He was like, no, I'm absolutely fine. Two hours later, guy, the kid broke out into a fever. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Paul Check was talking about this. I can't remember the doctor wow. it was. And they were like, and he was like, he couldn't believe it. The, the doctor couldn't believe it. And then once he realized that they were telling nonsense, the, the, the body started to heal again. And I, I love this is like they they've done this with they've done this with chemotherapeutic drugs, Alec. They've told people they're getting chemotherapeutic drugs. They've actually given them sugar solution and salt solution, and they've believed it so much that their hair fell out, even though they got sugar solution. Yep. That's how much the placebo and nocebo effect is. And you tell people Amen. you get this illness or anything, you tell someone they're gonna die in six months of cancer. What happens? They die in six months of cancer, or they die in six months of cancer. So anyway, I'll let you go on. But people don't need to understand how powerful the mind is when it comes to this. And that's why they keep on pumping this fear nonsense through the airwaves. So I'll let you take it from here. All right. So the first thing I like to start with on this is a ping pong ball and brick wall analogy. So if I were to hypothesize that a, a ping pong ball could break down a brick wall, I think logically speaking, I would need to see that ping pong ball completely by itself breaking down the brick wall, right? I would need to ensure that there's no confounding variables. I would need to ensure that there's proper controls, all of the things. And if I were to take a giant hammer, smash the brick wall several times, pour a bunch of acid on the brick wall, tape the, tape the ping pong ball to a giant boulder and throw it at the brick wall, and then the brick wall falls down, have I proven or have I validated my hypothesis that the ping pong ball caused the destruction of that brick wall? I would think any logically speaking or any logic, logically thinking person would say, no, absolutely not. You did not approve that that ping pong ball caused I will agree with that. I will agree with that premise. Yes. Yeah. So how does this relate to virology? About to find out. So if I were to tell you that SARS-CoV-2 has never been isolated or proven to exist, what you would likely do is you would go on to Google, you would type in isolation of SARS-CoV-2, you'd find thousands of papers just like this one, isolation characterization of SARS-CoV-2 from the first US COVID-19 patient. You would send me all these studies, you would say, you're a crazy conspiracy theorist, how can you possibly say that? Here's 
thousands of peer reviewed studies saying the opposite. Who are you? You're just a dude on Twitter who's 29 years old. You're crazy, right? Here's the problem though. Here's from Webster's dictionary, what the term isolate means to separate from another substance so as to obtain in a pure or free state. Now let's revisit that same exact study isolation of SARS-CoV-2. This is the same study that was on two slides ago. And here's the method section of that study. And as you see here, highlighted V0E6, minimal essential medium, trypsinized, resuspended, and Dilbeco's modified essential medium, penicillin, streptomycin, amphotericin B, observed for cytopathic effect, also 10% fetal bovine serum. So there's a bunch of substances. In scientific language, it's hard to determine exactly what they're saying, but this is essentially what's happening. So in the method section of that paper, they have taken a sample of snot. They have put this sample of snot on a monkey kidney cell alongside fetal bovine or fetal calf serum, minimal nutrient medium, and any one or more of the following antibiotics and antimycotics, depending on the paper. Amphotericin B, gentamicin, penicillin, streptomycin. They also had trypsin. And then the cell experiences what is called a cytopathic effect after all of these substances have been added to the culture experiences that cytopathic effect, which essentially is the cell is breaking down into a bunch of fragments. They prepare those fragments for electron microscopy and an electro or electron micrograph image is produced and they point to the particles in those electron micrographs and say, these are viruses. So here's the problem with that whole procedure before they introduce the sputum the snot from a sick person who yes has symptoms of disease is experiencing symptoms they take the snot from that person or other fluids sometimes blood sometimes semen or something else and they put it on the culture alongside all of those other substances without ever first validating that there is a virus inside those inside that snot. They just assume, they presuppose, ah, there is a virus inside these fluids. We're putting this on the culture alongside all of these other things. They also presuppose that the virus produces the effects on the culture, meaning that they assume that none of the other substances, the amphotericin, the gentamicin, trypsin, fetal bovine serum, minimal nutrient medium, which means they're essentially giving the cell the minimal amount of nutrients to keep it viable, right? They assume that none of those other things have the effect on the culture and they assume that it must be the virus that they assume but never validate is inside the fluids of a sick person that they put on the culture and every single electron micrograph image so this image to the right that so many of us have seen all these images like how could you possibly say that alec like, i've seen so many images just like that of what they're saying is sars cov2 or really for the matter you could insert any other virus there you could say images of measles virus, you could say images of Ebola, whatever else, every single electron micrograph image of any virus, but let's just stay with what we're talking about now, SARS-CoV-2 is the result of the experiment that I just described, where they're presupposing that a virus is in the fluids. They add those fluids to the culture alongside all these other substances, assuming that they don't have an effect on the culture whatsoever. Culture breaks down into a bunch of fragments, they say that those fragments are viruses and that's what these electron micrograph images are. Here's a quote from a virologist, Stefan Lanka. In every single photograph of a virus, you'll find that it's from a cell culture. 
never from the blood, never from the saliva, never from the semen, never from another liquid of the body, not from a human, not from an animal, not from a plant. Every single one is the result of the experiment that I've just described. And so it begs the question, why? Why are we isolating viruses this way when we actually have the technology to uh, properly isolate and purify a virus directly from the fluids of a sick person? You would take snot from a sick person, run it through a filter, which would separate particles of known size. And of course, because we've never actually proven that viruses exist in nature, we would have to run this experiment thousands of times over just to because you have no idea if these particles do exist, what size they actually are. Because again, we're going off of what they've discovered them to be based on the results of the culture, which is simply a byproduct of the cell culture process that I've described earlier. So for the sake of the argument though, viruses, according to virologists, are known to be 50 nanometers to 140 nanometers in size. So you'd simply run them through a filter that separates particles of known size out where you would have a filtrate that only has particles of known size. You'd then put that filtrate inside a density gradient centrifuge, which separates particles by density. So then you would have particles of known size and known density inside a solution. And then you would take that and you would characterize it under a microscope, probably would want to avoid an electron microscope for reasons that I'll share later. But it, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of problems with electron microscopy. But however, you could take that substance and then expose it to a healthy person and see if it replicates symptoms of disease and then you would have proven that these things exist and that they cause disease in a healthy person and this has never ever been done and so this seems pretty logical to me if you're going to say that this is disease causing agent and that it exists in the fluids of a sick host you need to take that substance do all this process that we have the technology for expose it to a healthy person and see that uh see if it causes symptoms of disease so I've actually approached virologists and I've asked, and you've probably seen me do this on Twitter <laughs> dozens of times, asked, can you find one single paper in which a virus was isolated, purified, characterized, and sequenced directly from the fluids of a sick host, which they cannot provide. And I've shown that repeatedly. I actually had several virologists, immunologists, molecular biologists block me. And when I pressed them on this, and here's some of the answers that I have received from experts in the realm of virology yep one the virus is too weak to isolate or purify directly from the fluids okay you say that a virus is too weak to isolate or purify directly from the fluids on one hand that's what virologists say on the other hand you say that a virus travels freely through the air lands on a surface survives on a surface for upwards of two to three days makes it to a body makes it all the way to a cell breaks into the cell, hijacks the cell's machinery, and begins a replication process that overwhelms the body and then is expelled out and repeats the same process over and over again. So you say that it's too weak to isolate or purify on one hand, but then it does all these other things on the other hand, and it does that while, just as you mentioned earlier, Ryan, being completely non-living. It has no conscious action. So somehow it's doing all of these things, and it's strong enough to do all of these things, but it's too weak to isolate or purify directly from the fluids. That doesn't make much sense. The second one is there's not enough virus present in the fluids to isolate or purify it. And actually, this is what Dr. Robert Malone said, and we made a response video to some of his claims. There's that not was, enough. That was the one that Cowan and Kaufman had on. Yeah, I think he said, and they kept saying, what if it was in, what if you took 10 people's, what if you took 100 people? Yeah, yeah. So go ahead. Yeah. So yeah, to your point, this, so 
all three of this response and now this response, I have heard from people directly that I've challenged. This one previously though, I had heard Cowan and Kaufman told me, and I watched, I think Mike Adams interview them. And they explained that they approached the virologist. It's funny because that must be the thing that they all say. There's not enough virus present inside the fluids to isolate or purify it. And so this is, again, something that Dr. Robert Malone said in the video, and I made a response video with a few of my friends to that video, essentially saying, how can you say on one hand that there's a, enough virus inside the fluids of a sick person for it to cause disease in a healthy person, right? That it's being expelled out, that this is a disease causing particle. What then is a quote, high viral load, right? If there's not enough virus present in the fluids to isolate or purify it, how is that, how is it possibly a disease causing agent that is in the fluids? And then to your point on what Cowan and Kaufman have said, they asked the virologist, okay, if you took fluids from 10 people who are sick with the same symptoms and did it run it through a filter and then through a density gradient centrifuge, would there be enough virus in 10 in the fluids of 10 people? They said, nope. Okay. What about a hundred people? Nope. Thousand people. Nope. 10,000 people and the virologists just stopped talking. So yeah. it's just absurd. Then the third one is a virus needs a host in order to replicate. So that's why we use a cell culture. Okay. Let's think about this logically again. Why would you need to take a substance that you say contains a bunch of pathogenic disease causing particles? Why would you need to take that snot from a sick person and then put it and mix it with a bunch of other substances in order to generate more of it? Why is there not enough present inside that snot of a sick person if that snot of a sick person is enough to cause an entire other person to succumb to symptoms of disease and in many cases supposedly die? How is it possible if, why do you need to put it on a cell culture if there's enough of it present inside the fluids to mm. cause disease in another person supposedly? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Can we and then... Yeah, it's just, yeah, no, no sense whatsoever. Go ahead. None. <laughs> number and four. Then, so then another piece on the third, and this applies really to number one and two as well, is how can you possibly assign characteristics to something that you have first never proven to exist? This is akin to saying that, let me give an example. <laughs> this is a fun one to give on unicorns. Okay. I live in a town I live in a ranching community in let's say West Texas. And this is, this community is known to have a bunch of ranches with horses on it. And suddenly one night, or we wake up one morning in our community and in our neighborhood, all of our lawns have been trampled and we found horse hair or we found hair in the lawns. We found hoof prints in the lawns. And we look at all of that and we say, oh my goodness, this must mean that there is a nocturnal flying unicorn that lands at night or an entire herd of them that lands at night and tramples all of our lawns. That's essentially what they're saying here with virology. They have never first proven that this flying unicorn exists. And they're just assuming that all of these effects that are happening are the result of the flying unicorns without ever validating that there is a flying unicorn. And while also completely ignoring that they live in a freaking ranching community and yeah. that there are horses nearby and it may just be that someone lets out the horses at night to trample the lawns it's the same thing we have poisons all around us at all times we're assuming that it is this thing that we have never proven to exist and completely ignore all the other many things that are making us sick which i'll get into later yeah. so 
Then number four, this is my favorite response I've gotten. This is the most frequent one. You're not a virologist. You don't get to determine what isolation is, or you're a crazy conspiracy theorist. Where's your lab time? This and that, which that's an appeal to authority or an ad hominem mixed into one. And that's what I find more often than not is that they argue with logical fallacies when they cannot yeah. actually. I've had that, mate. No, it's not what you specialize in. I specialize in health. I don't special. I'm not an oncologist, but I've helped people overcome cancer. I'm not a rheumatologist, <laughs> but I've helped people come overcome arthritis and you, you name it. So I don't care what your title is. It's like I've got eyes, I've got a brain, I can read stuff. I can look. Exactly. And that's unfortunately what people, yeah, you said people like to. Yeah, appeal to authority but yeah you're not a virologist you don't get to determine what isolation is well actually i'm not determining what isolation is the dictionary is determining what isolation is yep. and we're just trying to keep by those standards because otherwise you keep on changing what the fucking standards are then we don't know what's going on you can't keep moving the goalposts what is isolation yep and yeah and i'll get into that in a little bit too on that not only is are they not meeting the commonly known definition of isolation they're literally not adhering to the scientific method and i can share that and i've actually shifted my asking of virologists i asked them to provide me one single virology paper that strictly adheres to the scientific method with proper controls and a properly assigned independent variable before proceeding with experimentation and they literally cannot do it and i'll I'll get into that in a little bit it's pretty crazy like they they always call people like you and me and probably a lot of people listening or watching this pseudoscientific when quite literally their methods are pseudoscientific i'll just share it now so this is a fun one for me okay pseudoscience the one of the definitions of it is anything that claims to be scientific but does not strictly adhere to the scientific method right? That is the definition of pseudoscience. Okay. So when it comes to virology, they have not properly identified an independent variable, alleviating any concern for confounding variables before proceeding with experimentation. Let me expand on that. So in this case, the independent variable, the thing you think based on your hypothesis has the effect or produces the effect, the dependent variable is virus, right? That is the independent variable. When have they identified or where did they identify the independent variable alleviating concern for other confounding variables before proceeding with experimentation they didn't they again just as i referred to earlier they assume that there is a virus present inside the fluids of a sick person right and even inside those fluids even if you do run it through a filter which they often do there are going to be many confounding variables there's going to be food particles red blood cells white blood cells proteins other toxins there's going to be many other things inside the fluids of a sick person right they put that on a culture alongside many other substances, fetal bovine serum, Tobacco's modified eagle medium, minimal nutrient medium, trypsin, amphotericin D, gentamicin, all of these other substances. They're putting that this thing or this substance, this fluid that they presuppose contains a virus on the culture alongside those things. And then boop, it produces their so-called independent variable or produces an effect, really, the cytopathic effect. And then they assume that it was caused by the independent variable, which they never first validated. So that is pseudoscientific, literally, because it's not following the scientific method. And then further, they don't conduct proper control experiments either. So their methods are literally pseudoscientific. Right. It's all of everything they do is pseudoscientific, apart from when it comes to it, when it comes to it, you get hilarious. If I eat a peanut and I get an allergic reaction to it, people know that, oh, that peanut caused that reaction. 
But when it comes to vaccines, you inject someone with it, they die or they get palsy or whatever. It wasn't the vaccination, the wind changed direction. And so they just like yeah. the whole post whenever it suits them. It's just, it's just craziness. It's pseudoscience at its highest. It's the last remaining. It it's is. a cult. It's a cult. And, and yeah, they predict their, I think it was John Enders. I think you might even get Well, isn't it. that what they've, they've inverted the meaning of literally everything? Yeah, yeah. Was it, I was about to say John Enders in 1954. He was the one who's come up with this. And he's like, if we don't, if we don't carry on this myth, we're all going to have to become plumbers or something because this is complete nonsense. <laughs> yeah. and so most people don't even know. I actually get into John Ender's paper in this. Yeah, let's go for it. Sorry, mate. It's just because there's certain things you can just tell off on because you don't get to determine what isolation is. You get to determine everything, do you? And then you just get to determine the answers as, as well. And even when things don't make sense, I'll just go along with it because you're the authority. It's like, not for me. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the problem with, I would have said previously, Western culture, but it's not just Western culture. It's the entire world is that we've been indoctrinated through the public school system, through our upbringing, through schooling, through even higher education and university to just outsource to experts when we can't understand something like, oh, I can't understand that. This doesn't make any fucking sense to me. I just must not understand it when the experts just must know. And the reality is more often than not, when it doesn't make sense, when you have tried to deliberate in your head and break down the process by which they're doing things, when it doesn't make sense, it's because it doesn't fucking make sense. Yeah, 100%. 100%. It's not because the expert knows better than you. It's because... Okay, so some of the other substances added to the culture fetal bovine serum this is important when it applies to the genomic sequencing of the virus because this is a paper published in nature in 2016 and essentially what this paper talks about is that fetal bovine serum is a rich source of rna that interferes with any downstream analysis so the way they do the genomic sequencing for this virus because there is fetal bovine serum included in the culture they can't possibly know what they're the fetal bovine serum is being in those RNA fragments that they're then stranding together in this alignment process to say that there is a new virus and here's the new viral genome. So that's the first thing. And then all these other substances that are added to the culture. Trypsin. Oh. So trypsin's added to the culture. Trypsin, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, this is, no, I was just going to say, this is, this. it just shows, I know where you're going with this, but yeah, for people out there, this is crazy. Trypsin breaks down proteins, continuing the process of digestion that began in the stomach. You're like, what do you think that's going to do to uh, a... Yeah, to, uh, especially, okay, if they're saying that a virus, it, this is what they say, that it's a strand of RNA or DNA wrapped in a protein coating. So wouldn't you think that trypsin, if we're assuming that these particles exist, would trypsin, which breaks down proteins, not have an effect on the morphological structure of these particles? I would think so. And they're assuming, again, that this has no effect on the process whatsoever. Another one, amphotericin B, and this is a big one. Amphotericin B and gentamicin are used in virtually every, one or, one or two of these are used in virtually every isolation paper. And amphotericin B, and this is something that I found on Google, it's this quick Google search, side effects of amphotericin B. Tubular damage is a well-known problem associated with amphotericin B, but acute renal failure is the most serious complication. And this is why this matters. Remember, in this cell culture isolation process, what type of cell culture are they using? They're using a monkey kidney cell. Amphotericin B is put on the 
alongside all these other substances. Amphotericin B1 failure, that they're on a monkey kidney cell. Another one, gentamicin. One of the most common side effects of gentamicin is kidney dim. Again, they're putting gentamicin on a monkey kidney cell and assuming it has no effect whatsoever. So this is Oh, mate, sorry, that just went completely. Is your connection all right? No. One second. Al, can you hear me? Good now. Yeah, it's good now. I don't. Yeah, I'm good now. I've just got you. Just as you went back onto that thing, yeah, it's all right now. For some reason, it was just on that last. I can where I left off. Yeah, yeah, go for it. That one. It was the. What was the last thing? I'll just restart this whole slide so you can edit it. You can edit it. And just go straight from here. This one. This one. Yeah, uh, I just I'll restart this whole slide to make it easier for you to edit. Perfect. Okay, cool. So other substances that are added to the culture, trypsin. So trypsin breaks down proteins, continuing the process of digestion. Remember that what they say, what they're, again, assume, this is all based on assumption that a virus is, is a strand of RNA or DNA wrapped in a protein coating, right? So if trypsin is added to the culture, and if we're assuming that these particles exist, which again, to be clear, they have never been proven to exist, but if we're assuming that they do, wouldn't trypsin have an effect on these particles, on these viral particles, given that they are wrapped in a protein coating? Something to consider. And that's added to the culture alongside amphotericin B or gentamicin. Amphotericin B, and this is the, both of amphotericin B and gentamicin, these are really key to, <laughs> to discuss here because remember, what we're talking about is their use in a cell culture, which means that they're being placed on a monkey kidney cell, a viral cell culture, a kidney cell. Tericin B and gentamicin, two common side effects with them, amphotericin B, is acute renal failure is one of the most serious complications. And for gentamicin, kidney damage. So these are easy to find on Google. You just type in side effects of amphotericin B or gentamicin, and it discusses kidney damage and acute renal failure. Wouldn't you think that if these substances are being placed on a monkey kidney cell alongside all of these substances, that they're likely going to have a detrimental effect to that monkey kidney cell, given that they cause acute renal failure and kidney damage in human beings? Probably, it's, right? Yeah, probably. It's just crazy that no one would have these scientists that are meant to be super smart. They're so smart that they can't even see this. This is crazy. No, it's crazy. And this is where I like to talk about the limitations of electron microscopy. Again, remember, every electron micrograph image that you've ever seen of SARS-CoV-2 or any virus for that matter comes as a result of this process, right? And this is these are more electron micrograph images of the cytopathic effect, which again, the cytopathic effect is when the cell breaks down into a bunch of fragments, right? These are said to be electron micrograph images of SARS-CoV-2. This is as well. And here's the issue with electron microscopy. And this is from a biologist by the name of Penn. When a tissue is prepared for electron microscopy, 
An animal is killed, the tissue is excised, it is fixed or frozen, it is embedded, it is sectioned, it is rehydrated, it is stained, it is mounted, it is radiated by light or bombarded by electron beams. Do you think if I were to take you, Ryan, in your natural state and do all of those things to you, that you would look like yourself? <laughs> well, I would think not. Frozen, embedded, sectioned, rehydrated, stained, mounted, radiated, bombarded by electron beams. I might, it might have some sort of effect. <laughs> it's, like, it's just crazy. Exactly. So th that's the issue is we don't even know that these electron micrograph images are producing anything that resembles what these alleged substances look like in their natural state. And that's without even bringing in the context of that we're adding all of these things, all of these substances to this culture. And then assuming that the virus caused that, assuming that the particles that result afterwards are viruses, then we prepare them for electron microscopy, again, via all these processes. And then we say, ah, these particles in these images, those are viruses. It's absurd. It's just like you said, the highest level of pseudoscience. And here's the issue as well. So there's a slight problem with even calling any of these particles viruses, and here's why. This is an article, a peer-reviewed study that was published in Kidney 360. It's titled, Appearances Can Be Deceiving, Viral-Like Inclusions in COVID-19 Negative Renal Biopsies by Electron Microscopy. So in negative renal biopsies, both pre-COVID era negative renal biopsies, and then also COVID era negative renal biopsies in people who were negative, for SARS-CoV-2 or for COVID via probably a PCR test, which is pseudoscientific in and of itself. But the point is, these images had morphologically indistinguishable particles from what virologists referred to as SARS-CoV-2, and they were in people who were negative for COVID and also in people pre-COVID era. And they're indistinguishable from the particles that virologists say are SARS-CoV-2. And also another important point to note here is that these were negative renal biopsies. So again, they were kidney biopsies. Again, going back to the monkey kidney cell that is being used in this process. So maybe there's something to do with kidneys here that uh, it, they just produce the same image. They can produce the same effect over and over again. So you brought this up. And this is an important point. So the history of this method, because people typically ask like, where the, f how the fuck did they come up with this nonsense to begin with? And this is how yeah. they came up with it. So basically we're going to put loads of poison. Basically we're going to starve the cell or at least feed it minimal nutrients. We're going to put those antibiotics on it, which is like negative life, antibiotic, negative life. We're going to put all these other chemicals on it, just destroy it. And then we're going to blame it on the virus. Yeah. I think I'm getting what you're saying, mate, but yeah, carry on. Exactly, exactly. So history of cell culture isolation methods. So this is from John Franklin Enders. This is the materials and methods section from his paper where he, quote, discovered the measles virus, right? And in red, you'll see a bunch of substances and I've listed them here. On the next slide, milk, streptomycin, penicillin, bovine amniotic fluid, beef embryo extract, horse serum, antibiotics, formaldehyde, hematoxylin, eosin, soybean, trypsin, phenol red, all placed on a monkey kidney cell alongside throat, blood, and poop samples, which again, were from people who had the presentation of symptoms, who had symptoms of measles, which is different than what we're trying to figure out here, what he was trying to figure out, what is the cause of these symptoms he was under the assumption or had the hypothesis that it was caused by these particles. And somehow he thought it was the correct scientific approach 
to take these throat, blood, and poop samples and somewhere in the process, combine them with all of these other substances that are listed here again, milk, I mean, streptomycin, penicillin, bovine amniotic fluid, all this junk. It's just, it's just, yeah, like everything he's put, is, how'd he even come up with this concoction? Formaldehyde, but used to balm people, yeah? Antibiotics, penicillin, horse serum, it's just soybean, what? Yeah, it's just insanity. Insanity. And so what happened is, of course, the monkey kidney cell broke down into a bunch of fragments experiencing the cytopathic effect. He prepared it for electron microscopy, produced electron micrographic images and said, ah, these are measles viruses. These are the things that must be causing people to be sick. Here's the issue, though. And somehow this was completely glossed over in this method with variations has been adopted for all of modern virology. This is a quote from Ender's paper. The cytopathic changes it induced in the unsustained preparations could not be distinguished with confidence from the viruses isolated from measles. So what he's saying there is he conducted a control experiment where no throat, blood, or poop samples, so no possible source of measles was present, but he went through the exact same process with the milk, streptomycin, all the other things, and the exact same effect occurred, the exact same thing. So this is what Stefan Lanka did again, right? Yep. Stefan Lanka has done the same thing. And it's just so crazy to me that this was in Ender's paper. Somehow mm. it was completely missed by the entire scientific community. And this was adopted as the way to isolate. Missed, missed or oh, this is what I was going to say to you earlier before I actually, I, I forgot, I forgot because we're going to some, some, this is awesome, mate. But it's like a Rupert Sheldrick's got a book out there called The Science Delusion. And we were telling yeah. before about how people you probably know about it. And people say, well, this comes, I can't quite work it out. Maybe I must not be clever enough. He said, no, there's some things that, that he says, I think there's 10 things he goes through in the book. Which, even though you, the, the science can't explain it. And they just say, well, that's just the way it is. Is it just the way it is? Or is it a load of bullshit? And so this, yeah, people, so this are people to understand that Enders here has got a cell that has no virus in it quote unquote and he's got a cell that has the virus in it quote unquote and he's done the same things to both of them and what happened to both of the cells was indistinguishable so they both broke down and <laughs> because that's what happens when you put poison and starve things like right? imagine putting all of these substances in, in on a cell that is already isolated from the rest of a complex physical emotional spiritual chemical energetic electrical biological being and doing all these things to it and thinking that it's not having any effect and oh it must be the virus that i've never even proven to exist inside the throat blood or poop samples that is causing all these things to happen it's absurd well absurd yeah and so back to the ping pong ball, brick wall analogy, I'm sure most people can understand now what I'm referring to here, but even this analogy is probably not the best one because in the ping pong ball, brick wall analogy, ping pong ball is actually there. yeah, the ping pong ball is actually there. We know <laughs> it's there with the virus. We're just assuming that it's there. It'd be like, we are assuming that the ping pong ball is present and we do all these things. And then the thing, the result is the brick wall breaking down. We say, ah, there must have been a ping pong ball attached to this. And that must be what caused all this to happen. It's just, it's nonsense. It's all nonsense. Yeah. So obviously riddled with fallacious reasoning. I don't need to go over that again. Okay. But then now you get into Stefan Lanka's control experiments. So Stefan Lanka essentially did exactly what John Franklin Enders did in 19, in the 1950s with the control experiment, except he did it in the modern era with COVID. So 
and each of these oops and each of these vertical columns is different substances added to the culture right gosh dang i don't know what keeps me that sorry and along the the rows it's electron micrograph images on day one and then also electron micrograph images on day five so in the first one cell culture with no substances added to it except for one antibiotic and no cytopathic effects were observed so nothing happened to the culture the cells maintained their, their integrity nothing happened and the second vertical column cell culture with 10 percent fetal bovine serum and one antibiotic again no cytopathic effect occurred in column three cell culture with minimal nutrient medium one percent fetal bovine serum and three antibiotics, which is what is that's the process that is done in virtually every single virus isolation paper. And as you can see, cytopathic effect did occur, meaning that the cells broke down into a bunch of fragments. And so you would say, oh, these must be viruses. Here's the issue, though. There was no fluids from a sick person added to the culture whatsoever. It was only minimal nutrient medium. 1% fetal calf serum, three antibiotics, again, the exact same process that they use for nearly every viral isolation paper, no fluids from a sick person present, and the cell still experienced the cytopathic effect breaking down to a bunch of fragments that virologists typically say are viruses. And so in vertical column four, a cell culture, all the same substances that were added in the previous one that experienced a cytopathic effect. Again, the 1% fetal calf serum, minimal nutrient medium, three antibiotics, but also in this case, yeast RNA was added. And the reason for yeast RNA being added was to take the place of any possible, quote, virus RNA that could be present from the fluids of a sick person. And the reason that this was added was to show that the genomic sequencing process for viruses is completely pseudoscientific and baseless as well. Because what Stefan Lanka showed is that just by adding yeast RNA to the culture and then presenting the results through the PCR process, I think running it between 35 and 40 cycles, he was able to reconstruct 98% of the SARS-CoV-2 genome without any virus present whatsoever. And again, that applies to all the quote variants because the way that they discovered or found the very or the the first genome of SARS-CoV-2 was this: they took 49 patients who they deemed to be sick with a new disease. They took one sample from each of those patients, did not filter it, did not centrifuge it, just took this sample of snot that contains so many substances again: RNA, DNA, bacteria, fungi toxins, proteins, red blood cells, white red cells, food particles, so many things inside a sample of snot. They extracted every single fragment of RNA they could from that snot. They threw out any long strand of RNA, any RNA strand that was over 150 base pairs, they threw it out. And again, the context there is that longer strand of RNA would represent a more complete organism. They threw all those out. They ended up with 56 and a half million fragments of RNA. They put it into this alignment process this genomic sequencing alignment process that essentially strands these fragments of RNA together, templated against SARS-CoV-1, which they quote, isolated via the same methods. They generated 1 million possible new quote, sequences of a new virus, templating it together, right? By extracting all these fragments of RNA. And they found it to be 80% similar to SARS-CoV-1 
And out of those a million possibilities, they arbitrarily voted on the longest one and said, ah, this is a new genome of a new virus. We're referring to it as SARS-CoV-2. So how did they find the variants? They repeated the same process, except that it was templated against this SARS-CoV-2 genome this time. So they would do the same process, get a sample of snot or take the results of the cell culture, again, referring back to fetal bovine serum being added to the culture, take the results of the cell culture, strand it together inside this computer program, find that it's 98, 99% similar and say, ah, this is a variant of SARS-CoV-2. We're calling this the Lambda variant. We're calling this the Delta variant, the Mu variant, whatever variant. That's how they come up with this. And what Stefan Lanka has showed that without any sample of snot present whatsoever, just by adding yeast RNA to the culture, you can do the exact same process and get essentially the same exact thing, showing oh, wow. that this genomic sequencing process is completely nonsense. It's so, it's so, we've known for long like, how corrupt it is, but it's just like, it's mind boggling just how it's just, it, it's, it's, it's just like they're coming up with just absolute nonsense to perpetuate nonsense. So they almost have to make these things do what they do just so they have like a theory to show the public because most public won't understand what they're even looking at. And so they're like, can we do all this stuff to it? We're scientists. Right. And where's the science? Yeah, where is the actual science? You keep saying that you're a scientist. Well, are you doing actual science? And I would argue not. And then just one last piece of this, and I still have 45 minutes. I don't know how long you want to go on this, but just one minor piece, and this is important, is people will say, okay, yeah, I can see that there's fraud occurring here and that viruses have never been proven to exist, but I can't deny that two or more people get sick in the same space and that there has to be some form of contagion. And that's where I like to share this. So when it comes to contagion, there, this is one of several experiments that have been conducted disproving that disease is transmitted via fluids of a sick person. So what was done here, this was during the Spanish flu from 1918 through 1919, and 100 volunteers from the Navy were chosen who had no history of influenza. They were exposed via various methods to people who were sick or to fluids from people who were sick, like injected with blood from influenza patients, swabbed with or inoculated with mixtures from mucus secretions for, taken from the mouth, nose, and throat of influenza patients, exposed to patients in an influenza ward, had them shake hands with the patients, open mouth cough into their face, breathe directly into their face. And the results were none of the volunteers in these experiments developed influenza. And this was during the Spanish flu, which is said to be the most contagious, deadly Spanish disease flu. ever. Exactly. It wasn't Spanish, it wasn't flu. Same as polio, yeah. wasn't, which wasn't exactly. a yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I don't need to belabor this point, but there's, that wasn't the only example. Another set of experiments in 1919, zero out of 50 men became sick. Another experiment in 1919 again, zero out of six men became sick. Another one, a higher percentage of people got sick after being exposed to saline compared to those being exposed to this virus in 1920. Another one in 1921, zero out of 45 people became ill. Another one in 1924, zero out of 100, zero out of 200 in 1937. I could go on and on. Contagion has never, ever been proven to be real. Disease has never been proven to be transmitted via the fluids of a sick person. No, and I would say that's undeniably true. And this is the thing is there is something called signal transduction where people have an aura, an energetic field around them, like any, everything does. 
and research has shown like if you're a sick person is around a healthy person yeah the health the sick person will actually extract energy from that healthy person the same way that women's periods sync up which is something that i've told and is that contagious is that a viral <laughs> no if i yawn and you yawn near me yeah. is that caused by a pathogenic virus 100%. and i say this to people all the time and if you your body is say you're going through detoxification process and you're i've had it before when I was going through and I even had like bits of my skin coming off because my body was getting rid of certain deep lying toxins and people go through it. Your body can withstand temperatures and heat that certain parasites and bacteria can't. So that's where you get a fever. It's where you don't want to take things to stop the fever because your body's getting rid of it. It's almost like nature knows what it's doing. And so when you get these things, I say to people, if you're going through the detoxification effect and your husband or wife or whoever's living with you is near you, and they need to go through one as well. Your bodies will speak to each other and your body might say, okay, yeah, you know what? We could do with that as well. And they'll go through it. Other people who are super healthy won't. That's why you can have an office of 30 people and only 10 people come down with the virus, quote unquote, and the other 20 don't because their body's spoken going, we don't need to go through a cleaning because yeah, we're healthy that's... enough. And that's something that people really need to understand. And just because they call that pseudoscience, like, no, everything has this energetic field. We're all just you can see it on the morphic field of people and so people something they need to understand how do they explain women's periods thinking like that just look at that this is the most basic one that people women know that they go and live with another woman for that length of time the rest of the women's periods will sync up with the strongest woman or the, the person the woman who has the strongest auric field or strongest energy and that's what happens in nature but it's not through said before it's not through as you, as you clearly demonstrated it's not through a virus or contagion and, and to your point there and you bring up such a good point that's exactly what i think is happening when people who are unvaccinated are around people who have been vaccinated recently and this is it's exactly in line with what you're saying i think what's happening there is not something being shed from the vaccinated person i think it's that when unvaccinated people are around them, the vaccinated person's body is signaling to the unvaccinated, hey, I've come into contact with this poison, oftentimes willingly, but I've come into contact with this new poison. Your body needs to detoxify right now so that it is better prepared when it comes in contact, even though many of us won't, I'm never going to receive that thing. But if your body comes into contact with this poison, you need to detoxify right now so that you're better prepared. So what happens? people who are unvaccinated that have been around the vaccinated people experience these crazy detox reactions where women are a period yeah, cycle right. for a woman, woman is a detoxification 100%. mechanism that is what's happening in a lot of women is they start bleeding and it's their blood i think their blood detoxifying yeah that's 100 percent. like we generally have five well men have four ways main detoxification effects breath sweat urine and stool women have five that's why they live longer in general because they get to bloodlet once a month for a long period of time. And so, yeah, the body's saying, I don't want that in. I need to get rid of it. And if your blood's got lots of toxins in it, it wants to get rid of it. That's what it does. And that makes, you know what, that's the first time I've actually, that's actually come in, but that makes perfect sense. See, that actually makes sense. So when you say that, you're like, oh, that I can actually, that makes sense because, for example, when people have too much iron in their blood, they have to give blood or the body will go through a detoxification where it will sweat or healing crisis for example when i get a client and we go through certain things their body may go through a healing crisis where they get a little bit worse before they get better it's called a hexameter reaction first discovered when they were curing people of syphilis syphilis or yeah, the, the symptoms are real and that can be anything from skin irritations bad breath discharge vaginal discharge diarrhea 
blood it can be anything and so the body's getting rid of these things and so that makes sense. oh my god i've been around yeah because you're they that your body's had a signal saying you need to prepare in case you do get hit with this because this is stuff is so toxic and you seem some of the blood clots coming out of people being pulled out oh it's horrific um, and i've never seen anything like it and so yeah that that does make sense that's that's something that i'll definitely take forward into this because people yeah and this is the other thing people have been getting these injections to try and stop getting ill from something that didn't even exist yeah. all because they wanted to go on holiday or because they were so scared and yeah, if you're not one of us and you are just in the mainstream and you're listening to the news all day you're gonna be fucking scared you're gonna be like it's only when you know it's laughable what they're doing you're just like oh, this is ridiculous but when you're not and you're actually bought, bought into it you only have to look at it for half an hour the news and do the, the the way that it comes on and, and the images it's it's all set up to to make you scared i don't know if you've ever seen that little it's like a little video caricature video where they it describes like how they get attention it says this it's just like basically this little character comes out and he says listen up everyone i've got the news for you and everyone goes "Ooh, have you seen this one no you see it and the guy goes the guy goes so basically most of the things going on in the world is good it's a few things that are bad but generally you're going to be all right it was like, oh great and day two listen up everyone basically it's the same news it was like oh okay day three everyone is still pretty good there's a few bad things but mainly people are good in the world like, oh all right no one's listening by day five everyone switched off <laughs> day six another news channel opens up everyone listen horrific things are going on in the world you better be prepared. It was like, oh, and it's and that's and it's like the guy. Like, well, all you're doing is telling them a load of nonsense. It's like, shh, shh, shh. I'm getting attention over here, and yeah. that's basically. I say to people all the time, like most people are good people, otherwise you wouldn't be able to walk down the street without getting mugged. But when you're just being brainwashed by this stuff so much, it gets and this division: black, white, rich, poor, left, all this nonsense. Vaccinated, unvaccinated, meatless meat eaters it's all just division now we're going to be a car, car what is it like green energy versus oh, yeah. James it's, it's so right? many it's, it's so many is, man. this is the thing it's so many and what you've done there though that those slides you said you got another 20 to go in i'll be interested yeah to know. i'm done for now i i there's a few that i could bring up just like what causes us to be sick and i can oh, just yeah, list yeah. off all of the things that are causing us to be sick that you and i and all of our listeners know that's the question that people always ask okay but what's making me sick if not a virus i'm like my god <laughs> how, how long do you have 20 podcast episodes in and of itself yeah yeah 100 this is the other thing about this sort of stuff as well, well that could make me sick really it's like have you ever this is why i even say to him like because sometimes people they, they believe that their government etc is out to help them and so they're like well, if it was that bad they wouldn't be able to sell it i'm like really what about cigarettes yeah or what about alcohol or all the other things? Look at your chocolate. What's in it? Exactly. You tell me what's in it. 89 ingredients in your chocolate bar. Yeah. yeah. Not just cacao and milk or whatever. And then it's okay. Go beyond that. Go and watch a pro. Go and watch a film called like Erin Brockovich, which basically just shows you what they're doing. Or Dark Water yes. about how the Teflon in 1970s, I think it took them 40 years to even pay people out. But they were putting runoff into farms. They were getting all the cows that dying of cancer. People around the area dying of cancer. This is just like a couple of them. 
vaccine companies, do your research. The top four, I've said this millions of times, I'll say it again, the top four vaccine companies in the last 10 years have paid out over 35 billion in damages for falsifying science, bribing government officials, killing people, etc. You're going to trust them. And so this is when people say, what's making me ill? Yeah, all the poisons, the volatile organic compounds, the fragrances that have been sprayed all over you, your food, which is not even food anymore, your water, which has got all sorts of chemicals and parasites in it, your Teflon pans you're using, the soaps that you're, and shampoos you're putting on your hair, the plastics you're around all day long, the fact you're being bombarded with EMFs, so this is endless. Yep, it really is. And a big piece of that too is the, the perpetual state of fear and anxiety or fight or flight response that many people are in. Just like you said, the nocebo effect, even just the belief that I'm going to be sick, or even if you're not believing that you're going to be sick, but you're constantly stressed out, you're constantly in fight or flight, that is going to produce symptoms of disease without question. Research shows nowadays that most 75% of people are in, no, sorry, people are in fight or flight 75% of the time, which is obviously the body's never going to heal, rest or recover. And the body summates stress is what people need to understand. The body summates stress. So it doesn't know, it doesn't matter if it's coming from your finances, your relationship, your work, whatever it is. You could be eating the best food in the world and meditating and doing everything. But if you're going to work and you hate your job, that's a very toxic place to be. And not to mention the virus, they put out fear about the food supply and about the economy and about all these things. So people run walking around going, oh my God, uh, how am I going to survive? And that's exactly where they want you to be because when you're in survival, you're not in your human brain, you're just thinking about survival or you're just literally... You can be easily manipulated because all you want to do is survive. And that's where they want you. And uh, one of the things I actually wanted to ask you, actually, Alec, was you said you've given up, you quit your job or your job in the military. For people out there, I always say, because all this is going on, and one of my superpowers is knowing all this stuff and not letting it affect me. I know it all. I like to be informed so I can make, yeah, do what's necessary. I go and live in my life. But some people, you know, it's very hard for them. So I always say, if it's too hard, just concentrate on put your energy into all the positive things because that's going to be and one of the things. It's 2022. People say, oh, I need a job. But it's 2022. There's all many ways to earn an income yes. online. And for yourself, you had a government wage. What did you do in terms of? Yeah, you- so, I mean, I got out of the army and I will say it took me six months to build health freedom for humanity to the point that it was actually receiving enough recurring donations because we're a nonprofit that we're receiving enough recurring donations to where I could take a salary. So I started health freedom for humanity while I was still in the army. I got out of the army and for six months I was not receiving any income, but I was so set on making this organization profitable and helping the world with this organization that I now earn a salary as the director of health freedom for humanity as of November. So Awesome. That's, that's I'm making money. And so for people out there, what is Health Freedom for Humanity and how do yeah. they help? Yeah. So Health Freedom for Humanity is a nonprofit whose mission is to educate, empower, and unite people for all walks of life under one common purpose, the reclamation and defense of health freedom. So we're really focused on education, empowerment, and uniting people. And we define health freedom in two ways. One is obviously the right to choose what is best for your own health without coercion or force. But the second one, which we hold to be equally important, maybe if not even more important, the right to know and access what produces and maintains mind, body, spirit, wellness. Because if you're so focused on like your choice to be able to not choose vaccines, not choose masking, which is fundamentally your right, 
regardless of what anyone else says. And we educate people on that. We educate people on common law principles and some natural law principles and help them understand that it is their consent. That's the reason that they're subject to all this nonsense. But more importantly, if you're just focused on, oh, I don't want the vaccine, but you're still eating like shit, you're still drinking like shit, you're still subjecting yourselves to other things that are not maintaining or producing health, then you're missing the point entirely. Health freedom also includes what it takes to be free and healthy. So we're educating, empowering people on that. And so on the uniting piece, we have 19 chapters in the United States and we're growing as fast as we can. We only have three people that work for our organization full time. So it's a process, but we also have chapters in three other countries, one in the UK, one in Canada, and then one in Australia. So we're growing as fast as we can. And who, who is the one, who is in the UK? I'll send you afterwards. I don't know if she'd want me to share, but I'll send it to you afterwards. Okay, okay. But if, it- if you go to my website, if you or if you go to our website, healthfreedomforhumanity.org, and then click chapters, yep. uh, it'll show you the list of chapters and you can click UK and it'll give you the contact info to- for Cool, and so, and so with it, so it's basically, is it educating people for free? Is it, is that what it is? Yeah, it's educating people for free as of now. And what we're developing right now that will launch in August is Health Freedom for Humanity membership platform. And all that it requires to be a member is a recurring donation, either a monthly donation or an annual donation to be a member. And there's a lot of really cool stuff that we're working on to help provide solutions in real time for people who are trying to disconnect from the system. Awesome, man. I'd be interested in getting involved with you, really, if that was... If that was I would love that, dude. I would yeah. love it. Yeah, because I put so much content out all the time for free anyway, so <laughs> it really make much difference. But it'd be it'd be great. I'm gonna be because my girlfriend's now in, she lives in California, so I'm gonna be back and forth in the states anyway. And so maybe we can hit you up. Where whereabouts are you in Texas? I'm in. I'm moving to Texas in two weeks, so I'll be just north of Austin, Texas. Oh, nice. Yeah. And whereabouts are you now? Kansas. Kansas City. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I haven't been to Kansas, but. I want to check out Texas this year, actually, because yeah, loads of people I know have moved there. But the thing is, my girlfriend's in California, and I was always like, oh, California. I used to love California; it's one of my favorite places. But and I was like, I don't really like want to go there because of what's going on. And she's, you know what? I she's like, I live in Huntington Beach. It's the OC. The OC is super conservative. They're like, don't LA my OC. She said it didn't even shut down throughout any of it. And so that's. And I was like, okay. And we went there, and I was like. I could, yeah, I'm fine with this. And if another thing I've, you're going to say here, what we're going to say before, Tom Barnett talks about this. When you like walk around with an energy of, I don't really care what they say. Not, I've not even been like, it doesn't bother me or wherever they could do anything. I work online. I'm not going to be taxed by them. I don't really care. So wherever I am, I'm like, okay, I just, it just doesn't even bother exactly. me. Exactly. And that's the thing that so many people in the like health freedom movement don't get that is, really frustrating to me is that freedom you don't need to go petition outside or protest outside the government building or ask them for your freedom back i don't like that you have control over me i don't want it anymore you they have control over you because you acknowledged that they have control over you if you say you don't have any freaking control over me i don't even acknowledge your authority i'm going to live my life and be the authority over my own life and i don't care what you do this would end like that if everyone adopted that same approach. 100%. This is something I did a short little video on this morning because I kept someone put on Twitter, yeah, 
oh, PCR tests, lockdowns and social distancing are coming back. And I was like, it never was here for me. But <laughs> exactly. for two years, I was going around, I was on planes, I was going here, then everywhere. People were like, you can't fly because of, I was like, I've just flown to Greece and back twice and Ibiza and I flew to America. And that's not America, I flew to Mexico and back three times. What do you mean you can't fly? Oh, it's hassle. It's just, it doesn't apply. It's like, I just do what I need to do and just go across. And humans, I always say to people, because I want to leave them with a message of like hope. I say, first of all, Humans have always found a way, no matter what happens, they've always found a way. Second of all, when I did this two years ago, I was one of about five nutcases on the planet who knew this was all nonsense and people thought I was crazy. Now, every, most people realise this is all nonsense, especially this new thing that they're trying to bring out. Everyone's, I'm not believing this crap. And so now there's strength in numbers. So no matter what they do, I said it only like this whole global pandemic tree that they brought out where oh, they've taken away everyone's government's rights and the who has say what they do but only in the case of a pandemic, but the who get to tell you when it's pandemic and for how long. So yeah, I've never listened to them to begin with. So it doesn't really matter what they say. Oh, it's pandemic. Oh, cool. Not for me. And that's what I was going to try to say to people. Like, yeah, you just, in California, I was like, there's so much to do here. What are they going to stop me from going in the, in the woods? Good luck. Or, <laughs> exactly. And I like the fact about the OC as well. They were like super conservative there on the beach in Huntington. And I was like, yep. That's where I'd be. Like, apparently everyone's on the beach. And I was like, okay, I can deal with that. L- LA, if everyone's complying, most be like, I wouldn't be there. So Yeah, you won't go there. You just don't yeah. give it your energy. Like, yeah, it's really that simple. Yeah, it is that simple. And that's probably, that's why everyone's going to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Texas and Florida. Exactly. I actually used to make fun of people who moved to Texas and now I'm moving to Texas, so. That happens a lot in life. So you're like, no, never. And then it happens. But no, mate, it's and so you're going just outside Austin. Have you been before? Have you checked it out? Yeah, I have a lot of friends who live in Austin. A lot of my really close friends who think similarly to you and I. So I'm really excited to to be there. And then my wife's family, her sister lives there and they have six kids. I have two kids. So we're going to live four minutes away from them. They'll be able to play all the time. And uh, my sister actually lives in Texas as well. Oh, awesome, mate. So there's lots uh, lots to look forward to. Lots to be busy, busy, and lots to look forward to. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Alec, mate. It's been great. It's been a long time coming, but I think it's been a hell of a conversation. And hopefully next time, what I'm planning on doing actually is trying to bring these interviews face-to-face. So, yeah, I'm going to try and be doing that. So this is my next thing for this year or the rest of the year is like trying to do that. So... Just jumping on a plane. Come visit me in Texas, man. We can yeah. get it done. That'd be awesome. Brilliant, mate. Thanks. Anything else you want to add? What's the website for Health Freedom for Humanity? Uh, yeah, so it's healthfreedomforhumanity.org. And I would say follow me on Instagram or Twitter, but I keep getting deleted from both of those. Even so, with the disguises? Even with the disguises you keep even getting? Even with the disguises, yeah, it's nuts. So follow me on Telegram. That's probably the best way to keep in touch with me. And that's t.me forward slash the wave and forward is spelled f-w-r-d so if you just type in on your browser t.me forward slash the way forward again forward is spelled f-w-r-d you can find me there that's where i'm most active perfect and then any other you said uh, any other the websites for any of the other information like the, where's this video going to go the presentation where will that be will that oh be? yeah that's going to be distributed via like eight to 10 channels because there's five of us who are doing it together. So it's going to be distributed everywhere. So I'll be sure to send that to you once we release it. Awesome, man. I'll get it out to my audience. Alex, it's been an absolute pleasure. Have a great rest of the day and I'll speak to you soon, man. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me, Ryan.
So guys and girls, we come to the end of another quality episode and I just love getting this information out to you. Now, if you have been struggling with a health issue or you're just looking to get to the next stage of life and really reach your full potential, you can find all the information about how you can connect with me or the courses we offer at w.reviveyourself.co. There you'll find the Total Health Revival course, which is a real education in health and healing. It's not only going to teach you how to get better, but also how to stay better. There's another course like it on the market. It's eight modules that cover everything you need in holistic health from not just nutrition, but your mental and emotional health, your environmental health, biological, spiritual health, everything you need to not only create a healthy body, but to maintain that healthy body. And it's like another program on the market. You also got the chronic fatigue solution there, which was my book teaching you all about what the truth is behind three big secrets of health. So you can find that there. And I also link to many of the supplements that I recommend in the shop, different companies, all highly recommended by myself, companies I use. And keep your eyes out for Kaizen, which is coming very soon. That's going to be the best whey protein on the market that can be used for a whole plethora of reasons, whether it's athletic recovery, whether it's as a baby formula, whether it's to increase your energy or to detoxify the body. This is like nothing else on the planet and I can't wait to get that out to you. That will be coming soon. But otherwise, that's it for today, people. Um, If I didn't mention it earlier, you can always email me at ryan at reviveyourself.co if you want to have a chat about any coaching opportunities or any of the programs that we've got. And yeah, I'll speak to you soon. Lots of love. Take care.